Welcome to Spiritual Wanderlust, where we explore our interior life in search of the sacred. Many of us will travel the whole world to find ourselves, but here we'll follow those longings within to our spiritual and emotional landscapes. In each episode, we'll talk with inspiring guests, contemplative teachers, embodiment experts, neuropsychologists, and mystics. With a blend of ancient wisdom and modern science, along with a healthy dash of mischief, we'll deep dive into divine intimacy and what it means to be whole. I'm your host, Kelly Deutsch. Hello, everyone. Kelly Deutsch here, and today I'm joined by Tim Burnett. And I'm excited about our conversation because Tim is the founder and curator of the Way Collective, which is a contemplative community for love and liberation in Santa Barbara, California. He's a freelance writer, a process philosopher, theologian, and Disciples of Christ minister. He believes that through grounding our lives in loving communities, a shared practice and values that we can work for love together and help our society achieve liberation toward the common good. Now, I've been curious and intrigued, Tim, by what you're up to, because it's not too often that you'll find something that is um, like church, but not quite church, and that's contemplative in a group that's in an established kind of setting. And so I'm curious to hear about all of that and how that started. But before we get there, I'm curious just a little bit about your story and how you went from wherever you started in your, uh, I'm assuming Christian walk, but I'd love to hear you know where you grew up with all of that to where you are now in this contemplative community. Yeah, uh, thanks for having me, Kelly. Appreciate it. Um, so, yeah, my story sort of meandering. I, you were right. I, I did uh, grow up in a Christian household. My dad was a pastor and grew up in a pretty sort of conservative Christian um, house. And then let's see, in college, ended up spending some time in some more Pentecostal circles. And after that, I uh, spent about nine years in the Presbyterian Church USA. And so uh, now I work with the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. So there is a uh, I call myself sometimes just like a theological mutt, you know, just a, there's a mishmash of a lot of things going on. Uh, but, but definitely, you know, throughout all of that, I would say that my, my, my journey of faith has been one in which um, there's, there's been a, a continual emergence of, of contemplative rhythms as something that has been fruitful and grounding Um uh, you know, and, and so, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's a longer story there. I don't know how much you want me to unpack, but, but definitely, uh, you know, I would consider myself still being in the, the Christian tradition. It's just gotten much wider than I first mm. thought, you know, when I, when I began the journey. So, yeah. Would you share a little bit about that widening process? Because I think yeah. a lot of our listeners have gone through something like that, where, you know, whether it's through deconstruction or just crisis or something happens and it kind of blew apart the faith or religion that they grew up with. So I'd be, I'd love to hear a little bit about yeah. that process. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That I, I think that is well said and, and sort of indicates my own uh, story too. But, but yeah, so I, uh, like I said, I was, I was working in a Presbyterian church. I had started seminary because I enjoyed ministry and 
you know, uh, loved learning. And so in the midst of this process of ideological deconstruction, where you're always having to integrate new theologies, new perspectives, I also had this existential moment of getting diagnosed with cancer uh, in the middle of that journey. And so amidst this world of changing ideas I was trying to integrate, I had this sort of deep experience of my own finitude and, and mortality and pretty quickly began, you know, carrying an entirely new set of questions that uh, I found out were not super welcome at the seminary I was at, and nor were they really super welcome in the church I was working in, and, and let alone some other, you know, relational spheres of my life. And so I had to find a new conversation at the time. Um, and yeah, I found a, a really beautiful circle of, of wise and expansively minded folks to, to, you know, be with. And, and so it really came out of this experience of deep suffering that I was carrying all new questions about the nature of God and cosmology and, and then also the nature of like what would be maybe something like missiology or the mission of the church or what's the, what's the Jesus movement supposed to be yielding? Mm. Uh, because pretty quickly my, even my sort of uh, social values, you know, transitioned. Uh, and so, um, so love became a really important center and what, what did that mean and, and how do Christians parse that out? And, and so, so for me, yeah, it was, it came out, it was birthed out of this moment of trying to integrate this experience of cancer and chemotherapy and, and theology and cosmology. And, um, and so, yeah, I found myself in, a, in crossing, you know, one of like what John O'Donohue calls those threshold moments in our life where you step into a new place and everything's different. And, and then how do you, how do you adjust when you're there and how, do, how do you find your people and how do you, you know what I mean? How do you connect to the sacred canopy that you're given? Um, and like I said earlier, that it sort of had the, the canopy had to widen a bit for me to still find myself within. Um, so, but yeah, there's a little insight there into um, some of the cause of that deconstructive moment for me that then had a ripple effect for a number of years. And still, I'm, I, I think I, for the rest of my life, will likely be integrating um, that. So, yeah. I'm, I'm curious to to pause there and look at that a little bit because um, as I think I shared a little bit with you before, you know, I went through my own cancer and illness and suffering, having that being blown apart. And I, I found that um, I, I felt like St. Francis, you know, when he had that night where he was, he spent all night in front of, you know, the Eucharist and the chapel. And he was like, who am I God? And who are you? And he just kept asking that over and over and over, who am I? And who are you? And I felt like that was, that was where I was in illness because everything was taken away. And so it was the three big questions of like, what's my identity? Where do I belong? And how am I supposed to serve? What do I do now? And so I'm curious how suffering for you cracked those open. Like what was the connection point between I have cancer and I'm going through chemo to like now my social values have to do with love. Like, can you build that bridge a little bit? Yeah. You know, I think for me, just to be transparent, a lot of it revolved around God. Hmm. And so the tradition I inherited was one in what which we call in theology the big O God, you know, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, right? All the things that most of us are not, you know what I mean? And with that sort of understanding, especially 
the way in which power is parsed out in that kind of a theology, divine power. I, you know, there, there becomes a real problem of evil or a problem of suffering. Sometimes it's called theodicy. And the rote answers that I was being given in seminary and, and in part of the, the part of the, the little corner of the Christian tradition I was in didn't, didn't help me make sense of my suffering, didn't really help me integrate what I was learning and what I was going through. And to be honest, just sounded like a pretty horrible <laughs> explanation for, for what God was like. And so for me, it sort of looking for other options, uh, looking for more like a more contemporary cosmology within which to have a theology um, was really important because I didn't, I, I realized I didn't want to say anything about God that didn't have to do with the world we were living in, which I was experiencing to be one that was full of pain in a deep way. And so, so for me, I gravitated toward, I, I just sort of stumbled, you know, uh, happenstance into this school of thought called process uh, thought. And it has all these beautiful sort of non-coercive ways of talking about God and God's love. And so, so when I found out that we could have a theology without power being um, the primary trait um, or, or sort of like a kind of like omnipotent sort of philosophically means that nobody else has power, right? If you're all powerful, no one else can have agency. So, which is where we get a lot of sort of determinist uh, theologies from. But, but when I found that we could, we could have a God who was, whose nature was love and that love was uncontrolling and non-coercive, I found a place for myself to continue on the faith journey that I had begun. And, um, and so that love then gets parsed out socially, right? To, to how, do we, how do we have human relationships? How do we have relationships to the environment? What, what, is, what is a loving response to people who are consistently marginalized by our government and by our churches? And, mm. and so that, that sort of God question being transformed and that cosmology, that new understanding of, of the world and of, of the universe had, had very real embodied implications for how we should live mm. as non-coercive loving presences in the world. So for me, that was like a big, it all kind of happened at once and, or, you know, as a process at once, like of this, this deeper integration into the, the notion of love and what it means to, uh, to invite, you know, the common good in our world. And so that was kind of the connection point for me. Yeah. God was the glue, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I love how incarnational that is, you know, because yeah. um, it's one thing to just have a, an intellectual revolution, if you will, but when it right. really does change the way that you're living and deciding to make your choices day to day or who you count mm -hmm. amongst your friends. Um, yeah. All of that. Yeah. Um, you mentioned, you know, you were able to find some folks who, in these wider spaces, you know, mm. people who are um, expansively minded. And I'm curious how that happened because I know a lot of folks who go through a process of deconstruction, falling apart, that's mm -hmm. really difficult. Even when you do make it into this reconstruction space of like finding curiosity and yeah. that spark returns, it's still hard to find community with others yeah. who are in a similar space. So how, how did that happen for you? 
Well, I, I was very fortunate, I feel like, to uh, stumble into a Rob Bell two-day event down in Laguna Beach when he was still living down there. And uh, through that event and a couple of other relationships that I, I built locally down in like the LA, Southern California area, I, I just found a really quickly, I mean, again, fortunately, a, a new set of conversation partners who were doing theology from this other perspective. One of the other early influences for me was something called Homebrewed Christianity, which is a podcast I'm sure some of you are familiar with, but Trip is one of my best my best buds and um so and and Bo Sanders too uh were a couple of people I found really early and you know we we just got to spend a lot of significant time together pressing into this process of not only of deconstruction and like you know sort of the French school of, of philosophy there continental philosophy but but even to like yeah what does it mean to be a Christian now what's the reconstruction look like uh and um so yeah, a bunch of a bunch of folks down down in sort of Southern California area welcomed me in, and I feel I feel very very grateful to have have found them because um, because it was a very isolating experience, as you know. I think a lot of people when they start deconstructing are like, wait a minute, I don't fit in my church, I may not fit in the seminary, man, I might not fit in my life group or my friend group or my family, especially sometimes like, and it's very it's you almost have to traverse the wild on your own. You know, I'll grab this podcast, I'll read this book, I'll, I'll just kind of go down the internet wormhole of references until I can find some ideas that are still inspiring for me. But, but yeah, so there was, there was luckily a small group of folks who uh, were around down there that embraced me and, uh, you know, the rest is history, as they say. So. Yeah, yeah. As you connected with all of these conversation partners and people in these wider spaces, what eventually led to you forming this space that you have now, this contemplative community that, I mean, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds something like post-church, like you don't have to be Christian, you can be Christian, um, mm -hmm. but has some shared values together. Like, how did that come about? Yeah, uh, it, it came about primarily because what was becoming more and more evident over time was that the church I was working at at the time was not a great fit anymore, um, I think, for both of us. And so I had this heart to have a space that was available for those of us who were sort of sojourning on our own in the ways I mentioned earlier. And, um, you know, the, the emergent church had been doing things like this for a long time in, in, in their own ways. And there's not much that we're doing that's that different from that, uh, other than sort of naming the contemplative option and, and doing this community of shared practices and values aspect rather than belief uh, centric community. So, but, but I, honestly, it was just like, it was the space I wished existed when I was going through what I was going through. And it's been my experience continually up, up to this day that there aren't a lot of spaces like this for folks in, in different regions of the country and of the world. Um, like I was listening to some, some friends talk this week on a podcast and they said the number one question they get asked, they have pretty large audiences. The number one question they get asked is, where can I go? Like, I, I don't fit in my church anymore. I don't have anywhere to go. And so 
we're trying to, the, the community that, that is here now, we're, we're trying to make this space together, you know? Um, and it's been, I think it's been a beautiful experiment in what community could look like or post-church community, you know, contemplative community. Uh, but it's just trying to meet that need where, where there's a common space where you can be wherever you are and keep journeying in, in local community together, uh, rooted in, in love mm. and working for love together in the world, so. Yeah. Yeah. I loved on your website, you had written um, that you can't unbelieve your way out of our community, which yeah. I think a lot of people could find both shocking, but also incredibly refreshing, <laughs> you know, that yeah, that sure. beliefs aren't the center of this. And I'm, mm -hmm. how does that work out? I mean, I have to imagine that there are people there who have a diversity of, of opinions and beliefs. They, they do. Wouldn't you know it? Isn't that isn't that so fascinating? Human beings, they're all different. You know what I mean? Oh, I, it just it works out. I, I don't know how to explain it. I would say uh, the one aspect I think that's been really helpful to allow for that spectrum to exist is we do have a, a set of practices and values that people you sort of like to come to our community. You're like, I want to live into these, you know, mm -hmm. and so there's still that binding agent of uh, that like historically maybe like a creed or a belief set has played but for us it's like we want these qualities to be reflected in the way that we live and that allows i mean i, I think it, it sort of naturally or in, innately gives people permission to allow their beliefs to be where they are you know mm -hmm. and um and so it's it gets messy sometimes but it's not really been an issue uh in fact one of the the, the funny kind of aspects was this was I was working with a friend of mine to draw up like our relationship to the Christian story and how our community is going to do this. We drew this like expansive sort of picture of like evolutionary history and like 13.9 billion years and all this kind of stuff. And this is what it like the Jesus stuff is about. And, and our community was like, we represented it at a retreat and our community was like, no, we don't really need that. So <laughs> So for whatever reason, it's worked for them to just commit to this path. Um, we say that we we sort of engage with Christianity through stories, symbols, sacraments, and sacred days. So again, you know, more alliterations, but it's pretty easy for people to kind of see like, oh yeah, we many of us have this common language, this common history with Christianity. And so we're not going to just like throw the baby out with the bathwater and just get rid of the whole thing. What we can do is embrace the other thing we say is those loving and liberating parts of our tradition and keep keep at those together and and realize that there's not a coercive element here in Christianity. There's only the invitation to love and, and this path that we're on. Um, and it's it's just worked out that that people are people who can see that and they they want to participate in something like that have have come, you know, to be a part of it. Do people find the way collective because they're looking for like contemplative community or just because they're looking for something open-minded or something else? All the above, I would say. I think it's, yeah, for some people, the contemplative thread is interesting. For some people, it's really not. And they are more into the liberatory aspect of it, you know, or the, the social sort of justice aspect of it. Um, mm -hmm. For others, it's just like a safe space when you don't know what you think anymore about Christianity to come and hang out and have dinner and have a conversation and meditate a little bit. Like it's, um, 
it, yeah, I think people sort of span that gap through de from deconstruction to reconstruction for, from more social praxis to contemplative and yeah, everywhere in between. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I find that such an interesting um, kind of gathering when people who can be um, so diverse and not only, you know, in themselves and their backgrounds, but where they find themselves spiritually. I mean, you know, mm. welcome to humanity. <laughs> That's, you know, there is yeah. such diversity, but um, finding unity without expecting uniformity that's where it's at that's the key but it's not always easy no i couldn't couldn't agree with that more it's uh yeah we're still learning all the time you know we're still holding new new depths new spaces of difference and mm -hmm. i i don't think that's going to stop anytime soon i think we're going to have to keep sort of widening our circle keep being more intentional about our language keep drawing our practices as a community forward to yeah to really become that together so mm. um yeah hmm. what would you say is something presently that has been capturing your attention or even the attention of the way collective as far as like where you feel drawn presently in the context of <laughs> where life is mm. pandemic all the unrest that has been happening over the past few years. Yeah, that's a great question. It's it's so so expansive. It's hard to pick one avenue. You know, um, I think that as I just mentioned, we're we're really I think making this space together and experimenting with what it looks like to hold difference in a community. Hmm. Um, and difference takes a lot of forms and shapes. You know, um, from political to race to sexual orientation gender identity to uh beliefs you know like there's there's so much class you know um and one of the one of the aspects we've been endeavoring into lately that just happened a few weeks ago was we did this contemplative pause moment where i had people write down on some anonymously on pieces of paper what's one thing what's one opinion or belief that you hold that you don't feel comfortable sharing at Way Collective? Because as any community does, we've got a center of gravity, you know, you know, we probably lean a certain way politically, lean a certain way theologically, and not everybody's like all right at the same space. And so, uh, so I read all these statements and some of them were uh, contradicting each other, you know, like, and, and people had to just sort of sit in a, in a posture of welcome to all that. And it was pretty cool because it it started it started a new sort of series of conversations around, wow, I didn't know we had such, I mean, we, we uh, capitalism was one thing that came up and it was like, we had somebody say, I believe in the free market and I'm not a demon and I care about poor people. And we had other people say, another person said, I think if Jesus saw what's happening in late capitalism, he'd give up nonviolence, right? So I read, I actually had to read those statements back to back. And so, but that's, that's, that's an honest reflection of what exists in our community. Mm. Um, and we're all still for our practices and values. So I guess it's a, it's an illustration to answer your question, which is, um, I think we're going to be learning into belonging for a long time mm. and coming, especially coming out of the pandemic, the ways that we've been isolated and 
forced into digital connections in ways that are, you know, both positive and negative. Uh, and the othering that's happening in our society right now and how, how do we find local communal responses to that, I think is kind of what I've become really interested in is, is how can we hold that space at Way Collective and we're gonna, yeah, like I said, we're, we're having a retreat later this fall where we're gonna, I think we're gonna process some of that as a community and, and just kind of press into what it looks like to become that. Um, and to, again, I, this is just another aspect of hopefully love, you know, casting out all fear because I think a lot of our division and our othering and our lack of belonging is, is due to, you know, some form of fear manifesting. And uh, so, yeah, it's like I said, I, I think I'm learning alongside everybody too about, about what it looks like, but yeah, yeah but it's, it's been fun too, to start to journey toward that. I love how real that is, you know, <laughs> yeah, just yeah, yeah. because it's so easy um, to surround ourselves by people who are similar. I mean, that's mm -hmm. one thing that we long for, obviously. I want to find kindred spirits who I can share and um, resonate with on some deep level. But yeah. when we get stuck in our little echo chambers, it, it can be, we almost forget how to speak with people who are different, you know, who you know, one person who values the free market and the other person who, you know, is pretty yeah. sure that capitalism is from the devil or something, you know? Where, yeah. yeah. And how do we, how do we see each other as human beings um, mm -hmm. rather than just, you know, like, oh, he's a liberal, she's a conservative or, yeah. um, I'm thinking of someone that I spoke with the other day and, um, she, uh, she's a lesbian. She and her wife were out for a walk and they lost their dog in a park. Oh, no. And she said that she's like, you know what? Labels are so just surface level because a family wearing MAGA hats came up and like helped us find our dog, mm -hmm. you know? And she's like, wow. In any other context, like this would like, we would not have crossed paths. We would not have interacted probably much at all, but mm -hmm. to see that these people are still like caring human beings, even if they hold mm. completely different, you know, um, worldviews than we do. But it makes such a difference when you just meet Joe versus you meet, you know, oh, here, meet my friend who's a liberal, meet my friend who's bi, meet my friend who's, you know, right. whatever. And you start with a label instead of just mm -hmm. seeing each other. And I think that's one of the gifts of community is first you have a relationship mm -hmm. and then you can start to learn about all of the other yeah. Bits and pieces of our, our views and differences. Yeah. I mean, we do contain multitudes, right? Like we're, we're so much more than even our intersectional identity markers would uh, reflect. You know, I, I love that, like um, this sort of image of like our, our identity not being equivalent to our biography or our history, you know? And, uh, but the, the hard reality of that is that we we also have these parts of ourselves that um, that when they're public or they're political, which is kind of what that word means, they can they can harm other other people. And and uh, so how do we not be reduced to one aspect of our identity or perhaps our political opinion or something like that? And then also, how do we create uh, relationships and, and frames for for being in community that uh, that mitigate harm, you know, and that, uh, that have a focus on impact. And, mm -hmm. uh, and so, yeah, it's, it, it becomes, yeah, much more complex than, than, uh, than any one of our sort of, you know, 
identity markers can, could capture. But um, but it's part of the challenge of our time, I think, too, on a on a large scale level. So right, yeah, and I I like the idea that contemplative practice really is a practice. Like we are practicing basically an inner stance, you know, of that receptivity. Mm -hmm. And I like how that exercise that you shared of everybody writing their essentially unpopular opinion um, and having everybody have to hold that same stance, you know, like a welcoming mm -hmm. of receptivity um, and not immediately jumping into judgment or condemnation or whatever it is, but to just let it be what it is, which is so difficult because I mean, in our day to day lives, we always want to form these quick snap judgments about like, oh, man, like, I feel sick today, or it's raining, mm. and I plan to go on a hike. And immediately, we think this is bad instead of just mm. letting mm. it be what it is. Mm -hmm. Yes. And, yeah, those practices, <laughs> man. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I think it's important to keep an intention, you know, uh, and it doesn't have to look any one way, but you're right. I think that inner stance is, is vital for us to move from our resources rather than our reactivities in this kind of a world where everything is so, I mean, we were just using this word the other day, but everything is so, um, what's it called? Uh, gosh, I can't think of it right now. Um, yeah, but everything is so inflammatory, you know, like it's, mm -hmm. it's so, it's, it's meant to get a reaction from us and, we're, we're wired, we are hardwired to react, you know what I mean? Yeah. And especially fight or flight and all that good stuff, you know, but, but how do we cultivate that inner intention and posture is so, I mean, so necessary right now. Yeah, know? yeah, and I think you said it before, I think it's the safety too, like being able to be in a place and especially a community where we feel safe because that's also part of our wiring you know, is to be able to co-regulate with other people. It's, you know, mm. how many people tell me like, oh my gosh, it's just so different to meditate in a group. Like it's just yeah. so much easier. It's like, yeah, because our nervous systems are built that way. You know, if you bring mm. a depth of presence, like our nervous systems work like tuning forks, you know, <laughs> to be able yeah. to just be like, oh, thank you. You're just <sighs> drawing me into that presence and I, my, my whole system kind of down regulates into this mm. state mm. of being. It's such yeah. a lovely it's beautifully thing. put. Yeah. 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 So vital. What's your mm -hmm. favorite contemplative practice? Hmm. That's a great question. I mean, I, uh, I think it's probably a result of this communal effort, but I'm trying to, as much as possible, think of contemplation more in terms of the everyday. Hmm. Uh, and by that, I don't mean one particular practice, like centering prayer, which I definitely gravitate towards. I wrote my dissertation on, like, you know, I, I, like, I like centering prayer, but I don't do it that often comparatively to like going for walks at the beach or trying not to be reactive when my kids are bugging me or, you know what I mean? Like, or, you know, getting into having to deal with conflict at work or, you know what I mean? Like there's, there's like myriad opportunities for me to be contemplative. And so for me, I think like what you named this, this inner posture has become really uh, important to find ways to bring it into the everyday rhythms that I try to keep. Um, I do take a fair amount of time 
for silence and solitude, which I'm, a, I'm like a, you know, I've got Enneagram four tendency type person. So for me, that's just me going like, I'm gonna unplug. So I do that fairly often, but it's again, it's not always like Tim's out meditating in the wilderness. It's like, no, I'm walking on the beach, just processing whatever I need to process through that day to be, be more grounded or be more centered. And, you know, and so it looks a lot of different ways. So I'm sorry that it's not more of a, a clear answer, but I think even when we try to teach contemplation at Way Collective and help other folks, you know, that our phrase is like ground our lives in love for the work of love. I mean, that just practicing that sort of loving and kind attention toward your own thoughts and emotions and feelings is what we're really talking about. So that 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 perspective becomes more uh, more deeply integrated and more natural, mm-hmm. you know, so that we become less reactive. And and so, yeah, I think it, it just takes it takes an awareness and a level of intentionality that I try to carry with me as as often as I possibly can. And, yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I love that because I mean, that's why I like that we call these things a practice because I mean, just mm. like any instrument doing your scales, it's like the point is not the scales. Like the point is so that you have that ability to play or to respond in mm-hmm. life without mm-hmm. reacting with that snap judgment yeah. or whatever it is. We, we've practiced that interior stance enough that when you are going for a walk in the beach or your kids are mm-hmm. being a little crazy or something, you can return to that because you've practiced it so frequently, you know, yeah. whether it is, you know, in centering prayer or, or right. something else. But mm-hmm. I, I love finding those moments and being present and aware enough that you can carry that throughout the day. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think our buddy Jim uh, Finley says it beautifully just to say, like, have have a, an intention or a time every day where there's no agenda but love, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of a thing. And, you know, that inner stance of least resistance and all the, the phrasings that he might use there. I think that's that's where it's at, you know, because um, we so often default to our whatever our, our thing might be, judgmentalism or shame or uh, anxiety or anger or um cynicism or disdain like there's so there's so much that's in the air even just like in in terms of our media relations social media and news outlets that that it's like we've we've all taken on that spirit on some level and so having this sort of like time to exorcise those energies that we don't want to carry with us into our relationships and our work like um we got, we got to do it. We just got to, yeah. we got to do it, you know? Yeah. It really does take intentionality, which is why I think there is such a prolific number of practices that people are like, try this, use your mantra, try meditating, focus on <laughs> right. your breathing, do yoga, try, you know, and yeah. those are all wonderful. It's like, yeah. Um, but yeah, similarly, if, when people ask, you know, like what, what practice do you recommend or what's your favorite practice, you know, mm. and it, it is often just like, find what grounds you like I don't care if it is sipping your coffee in the morning or riding horseback like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. find what it is and you know make your agenda love presence receptivity yep I think that's that's it yeah Mm -hmm. Hmm. Mm -hmm. if you had to offer one piece of wisdom insight advice to 
folks who are perhaps early on in this contemplative journey, they've maybe, maybe they've been through some sort of deconstruction. The idea of contemplation, mysticism intrigues them. Mm -hmm. Um, what would you recommend? Like how to, how would people get started? Or if they showed up to the way collective and they said, Hey, Mm -hmm. Tim, I'm intrigued by this. I I don't really know much about it or what it is. Where do I get started? So I wrestle with this, right? Because I think I, I'll just say from experience here at Way Collective, we've got folks who are like really into contemplation and they're going to meditate and like they've, you know, we've got, we've got people who are just like, you know, all about that. And we've got people who like couldn't care less about centering prayer, but like the idea of being for love and liberation. And so, so for me, like the first thing that came to mind when you asked that question is I would say to somebody who's beginning to inquire of the contemplative path or the inner life in a, in a new depth, I would say everything is an invitation to go deeper into love. Mm. Everything you encounter, a big roadblock, a big trauma, a, like whatever the thing might be that you run into that you're like, this can't possibly be a part of it. It's part of it, you know? And so, so for me, like starting to see whatever comes through your psyche, through your soul, as an invitation to be welcomed in loving kindness and integrated into your and surrender ultimately surrendered to love again we we already talked about the practice side of this we do this in myriad ways but but i think for me i wish somebody would have told me that whatever you're about to encounter whatever maybe dark night you're going to go through whatever you're losing it's all a part of this journey of falling deeper into you know, union with love. Um, but it, it just doesn't feel that way. You know, it doesn't always yes. feel that way. It feels like somebody's pruning something, you know, it, to use the, the John image, you know, but it, it feels like death a lot of the time. It feels like suffering. It feels like hurt. It feels like re-traumatizing sometimes. It feels like loss, grief. But the only, I mean, I, I always go back to this, this quote by um, a psychologist named Bruce Rogers Wine. He says that uh, grief is really just love under the condition of absence. Mm. Grief is love under the condition of absence. And so for me, everything we encounter, like, no matter how, how drastic the, the bodily experience or the emotional experience, uh, no matter how hard line the storylines are that we create around what all of that means for us Mm. all of it is just uh it's it's an invitation to go deeper into love and to and to surrender in a new place um Mm. yeah I, i think that's kind of the whole path for me so um i got lots of time left to keep (laughs) keep letting go you know what i mean but uh i don't know yeah i think that's kind of it starts to take, starts to eradicate the fear uh, around, well, can this part of me be included or can, can, you know, can love really be the widest horizon, you know, Yeah. in my infinite inner life, you know, or, you know, so. Yeah. Well, right. Yeah. Especially when um, your outer life can, you know, presents you with so many difficulties, you know and I mean? This is kind of coming back to the beginning of our conversation, just the problem Mm -hmm. of suffering and what Mm -hmm. do we do with all of the pain and Mm -hmm. how can we possibly see this as as part of the path? Um, 
that's a difficult, difficult thing to embrace. But when you yeah. do recognize that that love is the widest horizon, there's something mm-hmm. um, so freeing about that. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that back to the, the theology thing for me too, the, the God idea, like there's a lot of suffering that has to be in a wider horizon for that to even be true. And that's hard to swallow. I think, you know, like there's not just our personal individual experiences of suffering, but like as, uh, you know, Dr. Barbara Holmes has been writing about in her last book, Crisis Contemplation, like there's, there's communal trauma, there's global trauma that we're going through. And so <laughs> that, that horizon of love has to keep getting a little wider and a little wider to, to, to hold or embrace all that this universe throws at us. Um, mm-hmm. And that does something to how you think about ultimate reality about God. And it does something to, to love, I think too. And it's really important. Um, yeah, so. absolutely. Hmm. As, as we wind down our conversation, what would be a question that you would like to leave with our audience? first one that comes to mind is do you want to be free and by that i sort of am implying that we're not (laughs) uh societally i'm i'm really talking about you know i think i think sitting with that question is really important because it it can start to catalyze and lead us out of the systems and the relations that we're that we're sort of naturally tangled up in that are not freeing and and giving us life and opening us up for more beauty and more life and it'll start to expose those Mm -hmm. you know if you really sit sit with that question i mean i i think of it politically sociologically economically i think of it holistically in terms of even like care and and basic needs and there's, there, there's a lot, but if you really sit with the question, like, do you want to be free? Uh, do we, do we as a society want to be free that, that I think will, will become unveiled, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. and I agree that the union of the inner and the outer, you know, there's, yeah. if you want to work for justice, go home and love your family, you know, <laughs> like to start sure. with, with the things that are most immediate and not to neglect obviously the systemic and the global and, right i mean we absolutely mm-hmm. need to work for those but there's mm-hmm. so much inner work that needs to happen as well um, for us to truly be free yeah i love i mean dorothy zilla liberation theologian said that you know her one of her goals in her work was to try to erase the distinction between the mystical internal and the political external mm. and i think that's just it i mean i think you and i spoke briefly when we first connected about you know the ways in which it's almost as if the the dark night of the soul maps over um, sort of disentangling from sort of late capitalist relations. And, you know, we're all subjects under late capitalism. So there's this, wow, we really, if we really want to be free and start to disentangle from some of the things that are actually working against uh, us and especially oppressing those who have historically been marginalized in our society, like you're going to go through a lot of dark night type stuff you're gonna have to have a really committed contemplative posture of love uh but i i would i do think that you know like you said it's sort of um 
that you will be liberated both internally and our society will come to further and further freedom if we can can press in so Mm -hmm. beautiful well i appreciate you sharing some of your story and um also positing some of these questions like what what does it mean to be free and do you really want it Mm -hmm. oh no problem thank you so much for uh sharing this space and and uh, allowing me to be a, a partner in conversation so yeah absolutely and tim if people want to find out more about you or the way collective where should they go yeah, they could go to waycollective.org mm-hmm. um, or .com. We'll also point you there. Uh, if you want to see a little bit about who we are, we are also upping our social media presence a little bit. So you can find us on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. Um, and me, I'm just at TD Burnett on uh, Twitter for the most part. Uh, I, I Instagram at TD Burnett also a little bit. Um, and yeah, but I've, I've got some articles on Medium. Uh, I don't write very often these days because I've got my, you know, uh, hands in the dirt over here. But, um, but yeah, or if you want to reach out, feel free to shoot me an email. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for sharing. And thank you, everyone, for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Kelly. Mm-hmm.